So the scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You can find it in your Bible, on, in the bulletin, or on your phone. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you know, whenever I get an opportunity to preach on a passage like this on the topic of parenting, I'm reminded of the family that was leaving church one day and their little son, Johnny, they noticed that Johnny was sad as they were driving away from church and the dad looked and said, Johnny, you look so sad as we're leaving church. Uh, why are you sad? And Johnny looked back at his dad and he, sa he said, the preacher today at church said, I want each of you children to grow up in a fine Christian home. And his dad looked back at Johnny and said, well, Johnny, why does that make you sad? And he said, well, I kind of wanted to grow up with you guys. And a lot of times when you think about, for all of us, as we think about our, our, our parenting, we go, uh, you know, I'm not sure how I measure up with that. But in fact, there's a great tr uh, quote by Paul Tripp in your bulletin that I want to let you know about, because I think this is a, this is a topic like much of the Bible, which drives, drives us back to the gospel. But listen to what Paul Tripp said about parenting. He said, there is nothing more important to parenting than to understand what God has given you in the grace of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what has God given you in the grace of his son? We learned about that earlier in the book of Ephesians. We learned that we have been chosen by God. We were loved by God, even though he saw us at our worst. We were adopted by God because of Christ. We have been made joint heirs with Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven for all of our sins. We have been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. These are all things that we have as believers in Christ in the gospel. Why do we need that as parents? Because so much, in, in fact, parenting is one of the areas of our life where we are most tempted to base our righteousness on how our kids are doing. It's where we are most tempted to get our self-esteem from how well our children do, and we make it about us. The gospel of the grace of Christ sets us free from making it about us. Now, this is a parenting talk. We talked last week how we are in the section of Ephesians that are known as, um, as the house tables, the house tafel. And so the last two weeks, we talked about marriage. We're going to talk today about raising children. In fact, later on in this passage, Paul addresses even slaves and masters, even in the Roman culture where slavery, the evil of slavery was practiced, practice, Paul challenged that, and he addressed not just the masters, but he also addressed the, the bond servants and he made them equal. He said, both of you are equal before a master. And he's sowing the seeds for the abolition of slavery. 
And as you see in this passage, one of the things that Paul does, one of the things the gospel does, is it values every person. So even in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, uh, Paul values the children by speaking to them first. He assumes that the children are present. It's a beautiful thing in this passage. So I want to give you three reasons why I believe that this, these four verses are vital and important to everybody here and not just parents because you're sitting in on a parenting talk, so why would this be important to you? First of all, number one, it is important to the moms and dads. So we had a baptism this morning. We've got Alan and Juliana Jackson. So far, so good in their parenting. Great job, you guys. But you took a vow that you would raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And so what does that mean and how do you do that? Well, that, that value took came from this text. So, so often over the years in our church, I've, we've had moms, we've had dads saying, we need tracks to run on as parents. This morning we want to give you that. But there's a second reason why this is important. We're, ta we're calling this message Four Building Blocks of Character. Now I wanna say to you, all of you, and I can say this from experience, character development is a lifetime project. And I would go so far as to say, that there are few things right now in our society that are more important than character. It's vital to your workplace, it is vital to your family, it is vital to society, and character is in short supply in our, our society. So it's very important that we talk about character this morning. And then finally, we all just took vows as a covenant community, community to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of their child. So in this church, we believe that kids matter. We believe that children are included in the covenant community, that they belong here. Whether they're, many of you children are in the service right now, you belong here, you're a part of this church, and we all are on the team of the parents in this church. So when you volunteer for Splash and other things that you do, you get to be part of this. So this message is about all of us. So let's go on and talk about what we're gonna, talk, we're gonna call four building blocks of character. Now I could have said four things every child needs, but this is about more than that. It's about the building of character. Listen to what Franklin Roosevelt said. He said, we cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. So this is about building children and youth, but it's also about the issue of character in all of our lives. So we're gonna see some connections even to our own growth and character today. So four building blocks of character. You ready for this? They are nurture, limits, instruction and authority. Those are the four. Nurture, limits, instruction, and authority. So as Chris said last week, I'm telling you what I'm about to say, and then now I'm going to say it. So let's talk, first of all, about that first building block. We're calling it nurture. I want you to look uh, a little bit further into Ephesians 6 at verse 4, where it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, bring them up. Now it's, it's a great phrase, bring them up, but what that literally means, this is the same 
word that is used when it says that husbands are to nourish and to nurture and to cherish their wives. So we're talking here about nurture. The phrase, bring them up, means to nourish or to feed. I want to tell you what John Calvin said about this. The great theologian from the 16th century, he said, let the, what this really is saying is let them be fondly cherished, deal gently with them. So one of the first building blocks of character, one of the best first building blocks for Asher being raised this home in, in this home is to be nurtured, to be loved, to be cherished. Now you might think that would be normal, but this is something that is so important for parents to do as they raise their children over time. When Molly and I were young parents, we read a book called How to Really Love Your Child. That was transformational for us because it put an idea, it put a thought in my mind about the importance of bonding with our children, about the importance of connecting emotionally, about the importance of getting down at their level, about the importance of them understanding that they are loved and that they are being nurtured by their parents. And here's what the idea that was put in my mind in that book. It said that every child is like a love bucket. So that bucket needs to be filled up. That bucket needs to be filled up with love over time. And the interesting feature about that love bucket is that that love leaks. Love leaks out of that bucket. So one of the jobs of parents over time is to nurture the child so that they are established in love. Psychologists have a term called emotional object constancy. What that means is when a, when, a child, uh, when a child is young and their parents leave the room, they start to cry, but over time they get the reassurance that even if I can't see my parents, they're still there. So Asher's kind of learning that. Asher's in that process of coming to that point where he can grow up as a secure child. You know, oftentimes as a dad, Molly would have to remind me of this because so often my mind would be just racing with adult matters. And even when I would come home from work, I remember one day coming home and I was, I was in our kitchen and our youngest daughter, Mary Kate, was just crawling at the time and was just crawling on the floor. And I was talking to Molly and I was in my own world and Molly said these words to me, I'll never forget it. She said, Mike, Mary Kate needs you. And I saw the importance of getting on my knees, being there for her, connecting with her, and nurturing her. I learned this with, we have um, one son and three, three daughters. We look, whether, it's, whether it's a son or a daughter, that, that need for the parent's support and love is always there. When our, when our kids were teenagers, Molly pointed me to another book called Always Daddy's Girl. Always Daddy's Girl. And I realized that part of my job with teenage daughters was to be that voice that says to them, you're a princess to me, you are the most beautiful girl in the world. I can't tell you how many times my daughters wondered what their dad thought of what they were wearing or what they were doing. So many times there is that love bucket that a child has growing up. 
And a child can sense it when we withdraw as well. So we want to keep that love bucket full throughout their lifetime. In fact, my kids are all grown and married and all of that, but I still have that ringing in my ears. Now, the second uh, building block of character that we see in this passage is what we're going to call limits. Now, notice the verse that's here. It says back in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the word there is discipline. So we could just say that every child needs discipline, every child needs structure, every child needs limits, every child needs boundaries. So that's really important. The word for discipline is a, a Greek word. It's paideia, paideia. Now, we might get uh, the word uh, pedagogical from it. So some of our English words might have their roots in paideia. But what it really means is training, is training. So even things like training our children to ride a bike, training them to swim, training them to study, training them to with allowance and chores and all those things that provide structure for their lives. And one of the reasons for that is that, as Franklin Roosevelt said, we are, prepared, we are building our children for the future, so we're building something into them, and the something we're building into them for the future is responsibility. Some years ago, I uh, did marriage counseling for a couple, pre-marriage counseling, and then I did the wedding, and it was this huge wedding, it was this great dinner and all this kind of stuff, and during the dinner, the bride and the groom were way up front, but Molly and I were sitting next to the mother of the bride, and while they were up front talking, the mother of the, of the bride leaned over to me and said this about the groom. She says, his responsibility switch has not flipped on yet. Isn't that great? His responsibility switch has not flipped on yet. And so one of the things in parenting, the importance of structure and discipline and limits is to help kids experience consequences, to help ex kids experience limits and structure that will develop them to do things that they might not want to do. A good example of this is almost every child I've ever met in the world wonders why it's important to learn math. Have you found that out with kids? They just know, they don't think it's important to learn math. I remember when, when uh, our oldest, Jonathan, he, he must have been in, I don't know, fifth, sixth, or seventh grade, and I was coming down to check with him on his math homework. And he started talking to me about how he could not succeed in math because of his math teacher. His math teacher was a bad teacher, and therefore he couldn't do his homework. He was never going to succeed at math. Well, I had a moment there where I wanted his responsibility switch to flip on. Because you and I, you know this is true. There are people in the adult world that we meet all the time that are always blaming somebody else for what's going on in their life. They're always shifting blame. So one of the things you want kids to do is to grow up and to not blame shift. And he was busted when he said that. So I just said, I said, Jonathan, I want you to remember that it doesn't matter whether you have a good teacher or whether you have a bad teacher, you are responsible for learning math. And we wanted to deal with that excuse. Structure. 
You know, uh, when you, um, I think all children need structure and limits and guidance, and they need it even if they chafe under it. They need it even if it feels like you're going to hate them, or they're, excuse me, they're going to hate you for it. I already said you got to keep loving them. So they're going to hate you. And as parents, we dread our kids being mad at us. We dread them hating us. We dread them saying hateful things. So I remember when our daughter Mary Kate was in high school, she was dating a guy. And the guy would come over to our house. And, and he was actually coming over during the week. But we noticed, actually probably Molly noticed, that her grades were going down because she wasn't doing her homework. And we had to have that conversation with our daughter that your boyfriend, that was kind of, it was, at least he was coming to our house, but he cannot come over during the week. Now kids chafe under that. They might say that they hate you, but we have to let them know. We have to give them that structure, that discipline, those boundaries. One time, our son Jonathan, when he was just a little kid, we left church one day and he said, I hate church. I hate church. And we're like, Oh no, what do we do? Now, what would you say as a parent if your child is hating, hating church? Well, sometimes you just want to crack down. You know, you might be tempted to just crack down and say, oh, um, you know, no, you don't hate church. You could take that approach. You could, you could change churches because after all, aren't children sovereign in our decisions? You could do that, but actually no. So what we, we learned something about what we call containment, which is like an exercise in boundaries. We could sit down and say, well, hey, Jonathan, I'm so sorry that you hate church. Tell us a little bit more about why you hate church. Well, it turns out that the preacher of our church is a wonderful guy. He's up in Virginia. He just yelled a lot when he preached. And Jonathan didn't like all the yelling. Like he would even say to us, why is our pastor yelling right now? And so that was why. So once we found that out, we were able to explain the pastor to him and kind of get that. But he loved the rest of church. It was fine. It wasn't the end of the world, but we were able to keep him from globalizing his hatred over the whole thing. So that's to nurture, discipline, or limits. The third one is instruction instruction. So this is the third building block of character. And let me say a couple of words about this. We now have a granddaughter uh, in Germany. Her name is Joy. She's 11 years old. And one of the highlights of our lives is to go over and to be, um, to be with her, to read to her from the Jesus Storybook Bible. She's bilingual, so her dad speaks English to her. Her mom speaks German. And she is loving God's word. And what's really cool about that, I did not do a good job in many ways with instruction. I wasn't good at structured family devotions, so if you guys struggle with that, I get that. I wasn't good at that, but I noticed that our son and his wife, Daniela, have done a great job on a regular basis just instructing their children in the faith. And you know what? That is so important because... Uh, in, in certain countries in Europe, there's a smaller percentage of people that go to church, a smaller percentage of people who follow Jesus. And so in many ways, their kids are growing up in a culture that doesn't provide all the surrounding stuff. So it's all that more important to instruct the children. That's true of our children today. And it begs the question for parents, and I want to say this to both dads and moms, 
when the Bible says that you are to instruct your children in the Lord, are you being instructed? Are you a lifelong learner? Are you learning God's word? Are you learning the story of scripture? Because you can never instruct your child unless you do that. Now the cool thing is that as a church, we have taken vows to assist the parents. And so things that we do around church like splash and youth group are part of assisting the parents in that instruction. And I'm so grateful for that. When, when uh, our daughter Sarah was like four or five years old, back at our church in, in Richmond, Virginia, she took a Sunday, she was in a Sunday school class. Her teacher was a lawyer by the name of Dan Carroll. Now, and we used, to, we used to be so grateful for this guy. This guy was wealthy, he was a lawyer, he was a statesman, he was a leader in our denomination, and yet this guy was a teacher in Sunday school. Why did he do that? Because he believed that he needed to assist the parents in the Christian nurture of the children. And to this day, our daughter Sarah remembers him, even though she was just four and five years old when he was her teacher in that Sunday school class. And so I would really encourage you as parents, as you think about uh, the stuff that your kids learn in church, to talk to them about it. When they learn about covenant discipleship, when they learn their place in God's story and what God's story is, to follow through and to see the church as your partner in that. But ultimately, you as parents are responsible for the instruction of the kids. One thing, here's another thing we learned about, about the, the value of instruction. When kids get into adolescence, being junior, uh, middle school, high school, there is a normal process that happens in their lives and it's called um, individuation and differentiation. In other words, they're gonna rebel in certain ways. They're gonna wanna sort of separate themselves. And one of the, one of the, the things that happens is you begin to feel your influence on your child somewhat ebbing, or you have a different kind of influence on your child. And so what happens is their peer group takes on a very, very strong influence on in their lives. And so the book of Proverbs says, he who walks with wise people will be wise. And so one of the keys is to get your kids in middle school and high school around families and students that also are followers of Christ and so in our case, it was so helpful to have the church partner with us because Mary-Kate, our daughter, in middle school started walking on the wild side and we were sensing that control just sort of ebb away that we had, even though she'd been taught, we'd taught her growing up. She got involved in a youth group. She went on a mission trip to Juarez, Mexico, working in an orphanage and that trip was uh, so influential in changing the direction of her life because she was now forming relationships with her peers who were following Christ. So all of that is good to think about when it comes to instruction. Fourth building block of character that we see in this passage. Now we've talked about so far nurture, bring them up. We've talked about limits, that is bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. We've talked about, thirdly, the instruction of the Lord. So where do we get this idea of authority in this passage? Well, one of the things is that authority is extremely important for all of us. It is one of the things, one of the building blocks of character that lasts your whole lifetime because those of us that are in authority, whether it's church authority, whether it's school, whether it's at work, whether it's government, 
uh, whatever it might be, and whether it's as parents, one of the things that can happen is authority can be misused or it can be abused. And so when you see people out in our culture abusing their authority, what's gone wrong there? There is another switch that hasn't flipped on, and that is a healthy understanding of how to possess, how to use authority. Paul is amazing here in verse 4. You would never say this to dads in the Greco-Roman culture, but Paul did it. He did it. He went after them, and he said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What is that? There is a temptation on dads to abuse their authority and to misuse their authority. Josh McDowell said, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. So authority and managing it well, handling authorities above us and people under us is really, really important. So what does Paul say to kids here on the issue of authority? This is great. Go back to verse 1 of Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So, so kids have a responsibility because the home is one of the places where they learn to navigate authority. They learn that it's proper to submit to authority, to obey their parents, and they also learn by watching mom and dad how to properly exercise authority. Home is a school. Home is a paideia. It is a training ground for character, and authority is one of those lessons learned. Now, Paul goes on in this passage and he gives three reasons for obeying their parents. And I love that. One of the things about kids to get them to obey is to give them incentives. You know, when our kids, if they would just go underwater, I would give them a Snickers bar. If they would learn to ride a bike, I would promise them a Snickers bar. I would give them incentives. And by the way, our kids never received a no if they were asked me to buy a book their whole life. My policy was to never say no to a book. But anyway, back to the incentives that Paul gives here, he gives three. He says, first of all, in verse one, he says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, he's talking about common grace. He's talking about in that culture, it was understood that it was good for kids to do that. And then he said, in verse two, he quotes the law of God, namely the Ten Commandments, which ought to indicate to all of us that the Ten Commandments are our friend, that when God gives commandments, they are for our good. So look at what he says here. He quotes the Fifth Commandment out of Exodus 20, where, the, where we find the Ten Commandments. It says, honor your father and mother, and he says this is the first commandment with a promise. Once again, there's an incentive here, so there is a promise, but that the Word of God says that kids are to honor father and mother. One of the things I will say about the Ten Commandments and what's, what's really great about them, there's a document called the Larger Catechism, which goes on and explains the implication of each of the Ten Commandments. If you've never read the Larger Catechism, it is amazing. So if you read, on the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, what it says in the larger catechism, it unpacks this idea of authority in the best way that I've ever seen, what it means to be adult authority in the world. So the 10 commandments are really good for us. And then he goes on and says, the first commandment with a promise. And then look at verse three, that it may go well with you 
and that you may live long in the land. Now that is an incredible promise that if you get authority right in your life, it will go well for you. Now why is that the case for all of us in this room? Well, all of us know that when people get authority wrong, they make a mess. They make a mess. When you abuse authority in your home, you make a mess. You abuse authority in government. You abuse it at work, you make a mess. There are tyrants out there. Why? Because they haven't really navigated healthy authority. And also, if you're not able to come under authority, God has called all of us, including me, to come under authority. Why is that? Healthy people have to navigate authority. Again, whether it's government, whether it's church, whether it's on the job or whatever it might be, healthy people had a, are able to do that. Authority does not mean authoritarianism but it means having a right relationship with authority. So that's a building block in character to give to our kids. Four building blocks in this passage. You know, I, still, I love that Franklin Roosevelt quote that we can't necessarily build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. In the Psalms, Psalm 127, you know what it says about children? It says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And Jim Elliott, the missionary, said what, what happens with those arrows is that they, they are fired off and they are sent out into the world. Now I know that by this point in the sermon, there are probably some of us in this room that feel inadequate as parents. I remember I used to uh, meet my son Jonathan for a Mexic Mexican food lunch every week or two. And I remember when he turned 18, one of the things I looked back on was all the stuff I didn't do as a parent. So what happens in our hearts is, as I said earlier, we tend to derive our righteousness or our identity for how good we were as a parent. The gospel sets us free from that. We tend to get our significance for how great our kids turn out, but the gospel sets us free from that. And there may even be, as so often happens with me on so many issues, some in this room that say, as I've listened to this sermon, I've been rating myself. I've been rating myself. Am I good enough? What the gospel teaches is that our goodness comes from Christ. Parenting is not something over which you and I need to beat ourselves up. Instead, we stand in the gospel and then that frees us over and over again. One of the uh, great lessons that I learned just, just watching Molly, she said this one time, because I feel like there was a time in life where Molly internalized the gospel in a way that I hadn't before. And she said these words, she said, children do not need a perfect mom, but children need a mom who knows she needs a savior. No need to use this topic to assert your righteousness. No need to use it to beat yourselves up, but rather to always, as we do with all the Christian life, to rely on the mercy the mercy of God and to stand there. And then once we're free from all those things, it'll help us
instilled into our kids. Let's pray together. Lord, how good it is to know that your word is so practical. How good it is to know, and we're so thankful, Lord, that there are children in this very church who are being raised in in homes where they're being instructed and loved and trained and learning about authority. What a treasure you have given us, O God, in our children. Give us grace as a church. Give us grace as parents and give us mercy. We pray together in Jesus' name, amen.